Hi, I'm Rian, and I'm going to take you through a mini lecture as part of your Communication for Health Professionals course. This interpersonal awareness presentation is going to focus on the whole person. Following this mini lecture, you should be able to demonstrate awareness of the whole person, including the aspects of the person. When considering effective communication, it is important to be aware of the needs of the person seeking to communicate. Respect is important when considering the need of the person and in communicating with the person. It is important for the health professional to consider the needs associated with all aspects of the whole person. When considering the whole person, there are five fundamental aspects relevant to communication. The physical aspect, the emotional aspect, the cognitive aspect, the social aspect, and the spiritual aspect. These aspects interact within a dynamic system. Each aspect is affected by the others and each needs the other to promote functioning of the whole system. Let's go through the different aspects. The physical aspect of the person can be defined as, but is not necessarily limited to, the biomechanical parts of the person and any physical systems that affect physical function. For example, the nervous system or the digestive system. This aspect includes the physical skills of the person as well as the actual body parts and systems. Physical aspects affect initial reactions and thoughts about people and then affect the ongoing behaviours depending upon the expectations and needs. It is important to consider the physical aspect in planning for situations, such as whether wheelchair access is required. The emotional or psychological aspect refers to the emotions and how the person manages these emotions or, in many cases, how the emotions affect or manage the person. Personality is generally considered a component of this aspect. Ignoring the emotional and psychological aspect of the person can compromise all interactions, producing inappropriate and often deceptive outcomes. It is important to consider differences in personality as these can affect responses and engagement. Perhaps consider how focusing on the physical aspect whilst ignoring the emotional aspect could adversely affect treatment. If someone has high anxiety and panic attacks around needles and medical procedures, it is important for this to be taken into account when assessing how to address the physical concerns for example, a cut requiring stitches. The cognitive aspect refers to the intellectual and cognitive abilities of the person. The ability to understand and communicate is affected by cognitive ability. It can markedly affect mutual understanding and engagement in interviews and therefore outcomes and satisfaction. This aspect is also important in considering whether the person is able to concentrate and understand what is being communicated to them. 
The social aspect refers to the tendency of the person for and during social interactions. This varies with personality, previous social experience, and in many cases, maturity. It is important to consider whether the person currently has any social support, carer, or even pets. It may also be important to arrange regular social events for the person depending on age, abilities and needs. The spiritual aspect can be defined as, although not necessarily limited to, the values and beliefs of a person. It affects the objects and activities that provide meaning to a person and it is important to consider what may be valuable and meaningful to them. It does not necessarily refer only to the religious beliefs of a person, although these might be included in a definition of the spiritual aspect of a person. Spiritual aspects affect values and beliefs, and these may relate to health habits or expectations that may not have any evidence to support them. It is important to accommodate by providing relevant facilities and support from the related religious leaders as necessary. It may also be necessary to allow time for particular religious rituals. As a health professional, your own spiritual aspect will affect your values and what you believe. It is important to avoid forcing these beliefs upon other persons or colleagues. However, such beliefs may affect how you interact and care for others. The person may want to perform particular religious habits or rituals as part of their day and it is important to encourage and support this. It cannot be stressed enough that all aspects dynamically affect each other so awareness of each is vital in all health professions. Communication with the person while considering all aspects of the person promotes effective communication and person-centred practice. Although particular health professionals typically focus on particular aspects of the person, it is important to recognise the contribution of all aspects. Understanding the focus of each health profession promotes appropriate referrals and thus fulfilments of the needs of the person and positive outcomes for everyone. I hope you have enjoyed this brief overview on interpersonal awareness, focusing on the whole person. Please ensure you review the material posted on Moodle. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone and welcome to HEALT 1113 Communication for Health Professionals Lecture for Part B which will be focusing on non-verbal communication. My name is Avita March and I am your course coordinator and I will be taking you through this lecture, the topic of which being non-verbal communication. This is also chapter, um, you have a chapter reading for this, which you can find in your O'Toole textbook, the link to which should be above on Moodle. So let's start. Nonverbal communication is 
pretty much as the name implies, communication that has without or is not verbal. So might not necessarily be the language or words, but it is still form of communication. So nonverbal communication can occur in addition to or without words at all. You can emphasize words which might non-verbally communicate a message about what you were saying, or you might use gestures or body language, which will also communicate a message about what you were saying. So it is the communication that occurs to in addition to or without the verbal part of speech. There are three main parts that non-verbal communication or three main components that make up non-verbal communication. What the lecture today is going to do, or this part is going to focus on explaining those three different parts. So we have body language, which has subcomponents, so things like gestures, eye contact. We have voice or speech, also called suprasegmental features, which have two major subcomponents as well. And there's also the environment. So nonverbal communication encompasses environment, appearance, manner and style of communication, and also internal values of the people communicating. This is why the nonverbal communication links on to quite well to the personal reflection, because nonverbal communication is the communication that is actually going to inherently convey your values. So, for example, this might even be in micro-expressions. And micro-expressions are what we call the very, very quick expressions that might flit across your face and might be gone quickly. But micro-expressions and facial expressions are quite difficult to learn to control, particularly if you have a patient or client or the person tells you something, like maybe the fact that they haven't bathed in a week or specific information about their bowels and your initial reflection or initial emotion might even be disgust or shock. It's very important to try and influence control over those non-verbal cues because you might not actually verbally say that and you'd be able to verbally con control what you say back, but actually controlling how much you communicate non-verbally is very important too. In fact, sometimes nonverbal communication can communicate more than 80% of the meaning, meaning that the words that you say can only account for 20% of the communication. Therefore, nonverbal communication itself can be more important than the spoken word, which makes sense. We're pretty easy to pick up if somebody says, yeah, I feel fine. That, that person's not necessarily feeling fine, whether it's the tone that they've said it or their body language, if they're not making eye contact. We're very good at reading nonverbal communication as well. As humans, we pick up on a lot of nonverbal communication. Okay, so I said there were three different components, so I just want to talk about these components in detail. Firstly, we have body language. Body language is the general name that's usually given to nonverbal cues. Now, in fact, body language has become a bit synonymous with nonverbal communication. But nonverbal communication also includes how you communicate your words, such as tone, volume, pitch, which isn't body language. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But for now, let's focus on body language. This is the general name that is given to nonverbal cues. 
This can include, and is not limited to, gestures. So gesturing with your hands, gesturing with your arms. Facial expressions. I mentioned before facial expressions and micro expressions are very important. Actions indicating preoccupation as well. So actually crossing your arms, looking away, might indicate that you're preoccupied with your own thoughts. The posture whether somebody is leaning towards you while they are listening or if they are leaning away can indicate or communicate messages as well. Eye contact, how much eye contact someone is making with you while they are talking. We know that if they find it difficult to look us in the eye that they might be either preoccupied or they might even be lying. Touch, so how often someone might actually touch somebody else while they are talking and also that touch or that non-verbal communication or touching someone also communicates empathy. A gait, so how they're walking and even clothing. Now, body language is a component of communication worldwide. Body language is a worldwide phenomenon that also communicates non-verbally the meaning. However, there are very big cultural differences in different styles or different communication of body language that might actually mean very different things across different cultures. But also, the body language within a culture can mean different things. So we've kind of come to the idea as well that having your arms crossed in front of you is a defensive pose. But for some people, it might just be a more comfortable way to stand. So body language itself can be communicated differently within a culture. And I guess it, the main thing of this is it's important to increase your awareness of how different gestures, facial expressions, eye contact can communicate different messages. So firstly... We'll talk about facial expressions and I already did touch on this a bit with micro expressions before and actually really starting to, I guess, exercise control. People who do find that they have quite expressive faces and will say, you know, their emotions are written on their face might have to learn to exercise additional control when they are being told information that their initial impulse could be repulse, repulsion or disgust or even sadness. Like sometimes having somebody or if you are going to actually break or tell horrible news to people, you really have to also exercise control and your own emotions too because your primary care is or duty of care is looking after that person and their emotions. And this can be a difficult task and that's why this communication course is highlighting this awareness because it's a skill. Learning to do that is a skill. It goes against being natural. And I'll just point out that now, at, because it's Friday, somebody has decided to um, start mowing or revving a chainsaw. I'm not sure what they're doing. So I apologize if you can hear that. Maybe you can't. Maybe all you can hear is my voice, but I can certainly hear that. All right, let's move on. Okay. It's also very important to keep in mind that different cultures have different um, expectations for how people express culture. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to pause and shut my window. Okay, so facial expressions can also differ across cultures. So Eastern cultures in particular actually do exercise control more so over negative facial expressions. Particularly in places like Thailand, it is actually a cultural expectation that you do not show sadness in public. So you can imagine the kind of all the outcomes that might have 
if say we were breaking sad news to somebody who had that cultural background and they didn't actually show the emotion we thought was appropriate for the situation it could be quite confusing so being aware of cultural differences in communication particularly non-verbal communication can be very important in fact we have an entire lecture dedicated to that later in the semester talking about culture and communication Eye contact is another nonverbal communication which has very, very important outcomes, particularly in our culture um, and Western cultures in general. Eye contact and maintaining eye contact suggests that you are interested and you are engaged in the communication, whereas avoiding eye contact can actually suggest that you're preoccupied and it can even be quite rude and we might question, are you actually listening to me? However, in some cultures, avoiding eye contact, particularly with people who are in a position of authority, is a sign of respect. And again, this would be something to be very aware of if you were working in a position where you might actually have authority over a person from one of these cultures. So particularly Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander people, they might actually communicate um, their pain or discomfort by even turning their head and avoiding eye contact. So very important to keep in mind that eye contact itself is not a or what eye contact communicates non-verbally is not the same across cultures. Another body language form of nonverbal communication is um, we went over gestures, facial expressions and eye contact. But I'm going to just talk about um, physical space and proximity. This is actually a really important body language or nonverbal communicator because how close we stand to somebody can actually indicate how interested we are in the conversation. Now in Western cultures we have a general rule of about 30 centimeters for kind of an intimate conversation. In fact anything more than 30 centimeters close is very very intimate and usually reserved for partners or relationships not necessarily and particularly not for what would be a professional or a stranger conversation. Now in more Middle Eastern cultures this space becomes quite smaller in fact it reduces from 30 centimeters to about 10 centimeters and this becomes the um it almost becomes a space chasing dance when people from two different cultures might be trying to just naturally close that or open that space to the comfortable communication distance. So again, something to keep in mind how people know, and that's it. The nonverbal communications, they're almost reflexes for us. Like we've become quite attuned to the fact that we have in Western cultures, we have about 30 centimeters space that we maintain eye contact that we don't over gesture, even though I, I notice I gesture a lot, but we don't go over the board. We have those ideas, but this can really differ between cultures. Okay. Oh, my slide is frozen. Let's go to the next slide, suprasegmental features. So, suprasegmental features are nonverbal communication that relates to the voice. And suprasegmental features can be further categorized into two subcomponents prosodic features and paralinguistic features. Now, prosodic features we can also call the rhythm of the voice. This is related to volume, pitch, and rate of speech. So, firstly, volume this is how loud or soft you communicate your words. Whether shouting words or muttering words, both have very different connotations for the message that you are trying to get across. 
And also different situations require that you will have to adjust the volume of your voice accordingly so you can get the same message across. Also, there are cultural differences. In particular, Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander people do tend to talk with a lower voice when discussing personal information. So also do most people like to actually lower the voice, but it is something to keep in mind that there will still be cultural differences within prosodic features of nonverbal communication. As for pitch, this is our high or how high or low we make our voice. So not whether it is loud or soft, which is volume. Pitch is how high, so how high we might bring our voice or how low we drop our voice to. Particularly in Western and in, in particularly in our culture, we do indicate a question by using an inflection at the end of our sentences, which might indicate we are asking a question. However, um, for some cultures, they actually just use the inflection regardless or not at all. So I guess also something to be aware of that using inflections might not necessarily indicate you are asking a question. But particularly, we actually do manipulate the prosodic features of our verbal messages to get that nonverbal communication across. So even upping or the inflection of the end of a sentence or phrasing it like this can actually indicate I'm asking you a question. I haven't said that, but it is a non-verbally, I've non-verbally communicate that. And finally, rate of speech. Rate of speech can differ immensely between cultures, and this is how fast or slow you present your words. Some cultures do really value rapid speech. Um, obviously, particularly more uh, Asian cultures might actually value that things are spoken fast and quick, that rapid is prized. Where in other cultures, slow speech is actually a form of good communica communication. Again, being able to adjust your nonverbal communication for every particular culture that you are communicating with is near on impossible because you have your own style of nonverbal communication. But I guess why I'm also pointing out these, um, these little nuances between cultures is because it's so important to be aware of these and particularly our personal assumptions are out and reflect on ourselves personally how we communicate and how might that actually affect communication between cultures. Now prosodic features are purely the rhythm or sound we'll say of speech. Paralinguistic features are a little bit different. So these are also suprasegmental features or um, voice features or nonverbal communication. But paralinguistics relate a lot to more to how we convey meaning. And the main parts of paralinguistic features of the voice, firstly, is emphasis. What word we might actually give emphasis to can change the meaning of the message we're putting across. So people can pay attention to what we are emphasizing. Also, pauses. If we pause, which might actually add meaning to a word we've just said, pauses could also indicate whether that was an important piece of information or also if it was a confusing piece of information. A speaker might also use the pause to indicate it is your turn to talk. Finally, tone. <clears throat> tone is associated with the quality of the voice, but also tone... Um, it works a bit hand in hand with emphasis. Emphasis usually only affects a few certain words in the sentence though, whereas tone can affect the entire message. So 
basically saying like, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm thinking of a sentence. Um, I am really angry with you. I am really angry with you. That was very dramatic. Um, the emphasis on am compared to the tone of the next message do convey really different things. Okay. Cool. Okay. The significance of nonverbal communication. I mentioned at the beginning that words only carry a very small proportion of meaning of the message. So nonverbal communication is incredibly significant because it can actually carry the majority of the meaning of the communication you're trying to put across. In fact, body language, body language and suprasegmentals or the voice of a communication can actually deliver most of the meaning. However, verbal and non-verbal messages cannot be easily as separated. It's very difficult to look at only how someone is saying it and not what they are saying. So it is most important that your non-verbal communication supports what you are saying. Meaning if you are upset or if you are feeling disgust, that what you say does match or you actually adjust that so what you say is congruent and congruent meaning that it is equivalent meaning not looking disgusted but going oh that's perfectly normal or being or looking really sad saying I'm fine or it's not affecting me more than anything people do appreciate congruency and us showing that we are actually a real human. But sometimes if we are finding our non-verbal communication is actually going to affect how we are verbally communicating and there's not going to be that congruency there, it's probably time we step aside for a bit and just allow ourselves, I guess, to collect and basically that we're able then go, we're going to communicate more efficiently. So in short, body language and the voice must send the same message messages of respect warmth and acceptance the same message as your verbal message so the take-home message really is your non-verbal communication must send the same message as your verbal communication so saying that you care about a patient or a client's health while avoiding eye contact, seeming preoccupied or turning your body language away, it's not going to communicate the same message. So there must be consistency between verbal and non-verbal messages. And I'll leave that slide in there for you to watch of Sheldon attempting to provide <laughs> comfort and support. Nonverbal communication can therefore substantiate or reiterate the meaning of words. It can reiterate how important or the message of what you are saying, or it can substantiate it, meaning it can convey the importance while you are saying it. It can contradict or complicate the meaning of words, particularly I mentioned for the contradiction between what you are saying and what you are doing. It can reinforce or accentuate the meaning of words. So by putting emphasis on different words can reinforce the meaning or, or reinforce how important the message is. It can influence the response of the person you're talking to regardless of what you are actually saying. So how you communicate non-verbally what you're saying can influence their response. It can also decrease the anxiety 
and facilitate expressions of opinions, feelings, and concerns. Change that slide. Finally, this is just a summary that I've given you of the nonverbal communication components that we have discussed. So body language component with the subcomponents of body position, facial expression, eye contact, gestures, and proximity. And I've given some examples in there. So eye contact, eyes regularly focusing on the eyes of the person. Voice or suprasegmental features. So prosodic features and paralinguistic features. In prosodic, we have voice, pitch, and rate. Paralinguistic, there's emphasis, pauses, and tones. And finally, I did mention at the beginning the environment also being a component. Now, although we did mainly focus on body language and voice, I do just want you to think about how the environment that the person is in or the environment in which the communication is taking place can actually send a nonverbal message to. So think about the nonverbal messages a business would send if the environment or the store you were in was cluttered and dirty, staff were not dressed appropriately, the lighting was inappropriate. So that might actually even send a message that they don't or communicate to shoppers that they don't care about their business or they don't care about their customers. Or if you had gone to see a health professional and perhaps their office or waiting room was cluttered and dirty, what does that communicate? So the environment that the, or the communication is going to take place in can already be communicating messages. Arrangement and types of furniture that you have. Um, choosing, I guess, and it is even important, the correct colour. Um, lighting, makes you, making sure it is lit to ensure safety and comfort. That there is not limit, there, there are going to be no disturbances while communication is taking place in the environment. So three main parts that we have discussed, body language, voice, and also the environment. Now, finally, you might also ask how these nonverbal communication components can map onto your assessment for your presentation. I would really recommend considering while you are, while you are viewing the oral presentation video, so the video for assessment, read their nonverbal communication. In fact, it might also be really interesting to mute the sound then you actually will have just the nonverbal communication to focus on. See how they are posturing themselves when they're delivering messages, how much they make eye contact. Obviously, you won't be able to hear um, the voice if you have the sound muted, but it'd be really interesting to just see how can you actually or what you can pick up in the communication if you're not listening to anything verbal. What is their body language like? Do they use touch or gestures? Do they lean away from the person? So just for some food for thought. Now, finally, we're going to touch on communication with people who have limited verbal communication skills. And we're touching on this because at this point, we could also be considering, well, what about people who cannot verbally communicate at all? Now, alternative, sorry, other way around, augmentative, augmentative and alternative communication or AAC system. These refer to systems of communication for people who do find speaking difficult or are unable to speak. And I've given an example on the right hand slide here. This is um, a commonly used electronic aid. Usually these AAC systems or um, transmitters are visual. 
They focus on providing visual aids to the person. So it uses symbols, aids, strategies and techniques to transmit and receive messages through either electronic or non-electronic means. So before these electronic systems were available, they would be a part, and perhaps you've even seen this before, um, some desks and offices in health professions or hospitals actually have a card um, that is maybe an A4 piece of paper that has pictures on it so people can point to the pictures. Um, and this just isn't for people who might actually have difficulty speaking at all. It's for people who um, don't speak the same language or have difficulty communicating and need to actually look at the visuals. AAC devices should therefore be flexible and portable, allowing the individual to use them in a variety of situations, meaning if they use the AAC device at the desk, they should be allowed to take it in with them when they're seeing the health professional. There are all different types of AACs. Um, I just gave the example of the pictorial representation that it might be used in hospitals or waiting rooms. Um, there's also community request cards. Well, if um, somebody orders community request cards, they might have a particular picture of a hamburger or a drink that they can just take into a restaurant and show to just quickly order a menu off the menu, sorry. Uh, a notice board containing a pictorial representation of the schedule for the day, also important, particularly also in nursing homes, that instead of having the written components of what will be throughout the day, having a visual representation of what they will be doing. A chat book that introduces an individual who communicates regularly with a variety of people. So if they're actually going to be int um, introduced to different health professionals, the chat book might even include visual um, representations of things that health professional likes to do. If they like to go fishing, could have a little picture of fishing. A pictorial shopping list displaying the goods needed for next week. So instead of in words, shopping list uses visual pictures. And an activity choice board or book that allows an individual to choose an activity they perform to do. And you can really see the theme here is pictures. Even shopping lists having pictures, schedules having pictures, introducing a person having pictures. And that's really the crux. AACs rely on pictorially representing these verbal messages. Again, so we've come back. The take-home message from today is that your non-verbal communication and message should match your verbal message. So if anything to take out of today, it is that there needs to be congruence between what you say and how you say it and how you do it. There needs to be congruence between your verbal message, your body language, your voice, and then even considering the environment you're saying it in. And that concludes part B.